If I'd known that before I proposed. Oh. Welcome back to Writing in Real Life, a podcast about marriage, publishing, writing, parenting, and uh, sinus congestion. Oh. I'm Barry Liga. With me is Morgan Baden. Hi, Morgan. Hi. We're a little under the weather. I, uh I can't even talk about it. I'm so upset. I know. I know. You know, when years ago, I would call my brother sometimes and I would say, how's it going? And he would say, we're all sick. <laughs> and he made it sound like the end of the world. And I would just be like, I didn't say this out loud, but I think you little drama queen, come on, whatever, get over it, blah, blah, blah. But oh my God, the baby was sick. And then... I got sick, and then you got sick, and now we're pretty much... She's pretty much okay. Yeah, she's But, fine. you know, she can't take care of us, and we're both not feeling well, and it just sucks when you're mm-hmm. sick, and and you just can't give yourself a five-minute break yeah. to relax because you have a small human being relying on you. Yeah. So, yeah, that sucks. Yeah, it does. Anyway, but such is our love for the podcast audience that we are here anyway to to podcast for you all. So... Here we are again. You're welcome, America. Yes, you're welcome, America. And, and the world. And, and the world, because don't forget, at least England and and, uh, and Norway. That's right. Or the Netherlands, I yeah. believe. Yeah. So one thing I want to talk about this week, we have sort of one big topic that we're going to talk about, but yeah. I wanted to talk about something else quickly, and that is our little girl is changing. And it's so weird. It's so weird. And I realize that it's such an obvious thing, and that right now everybody out there listening to this is going, well... Duh, did you think she was going to stay a little tiny, helpless baby forever? Like, the whole, that's how you started, too. And, like, I know that, but it's so weird to see it happening. Yeah. Like, she has an attitude and opinions now. <laughs> she can't talk, but she has opinions, and she expresses them. The, the other day, I had her sitting in her little chair, and I was getting her bottle ready. And when it's bottle time, she gets very impatient. And so I try to distract her with things while I'm getting the bottle ready. And she, she's like how I am when I'm at the bar and I see the bartender. <laughs> and you see the bartender, right. Making my martini, but he's not doing it quickly it's, enough. It's taking way too uh-huh. long. And so, yeah, exactly. That's exactly what it's like. So I try distracting her. We have this little, this little box of, uh, I don't know why we have all these, but we have like 15 million different pacifiers in we a do. little box. Yeah. I don't know why. So I would give her one and she would look at it. And she would just, with a disgusted look, throw it down. Like, not just drop it or put it away or whatever, but with a seriously disgusted look on her face, throw it down. So I'd give her another one, a different one, and the same thing, until I finally got to the right one. And it's just so funny because she's expressing this. She's looking at it. She's going, no, you idiot, and throwing it down. And it's hilarious. Well, because there's a difference between her... Um, not wanting something and making that known right. versus playing a game with you. Right. Which she's also started doing. Right. She started playing yeah. games. Yeah. So today she started banging her, uh, her, her little toy against the high chair that she was in. Right. And I laughed when she first did it. So she immediately perked up and decided to keep doing it. Right. Um, and then we made a big game out of it and it's just so funny. Like she is a person now. Right. My favorite thing though is that you called me today at work just to tell me how cute she is. Yes. As though I was not already aware. Right. 
No. Um, well, because though she was sleeping. Well, right. Because as you said, quote, she sleeps like a person now. Yeah. <laughs> and it is so cute. She does. She rolls over onto her belly and stretches out and moves her legs around. And yeah. 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 And, and that's the other thing. I mean, she's rolling around now. Um, you know, she, for a while now, she's been able to roll onto her belly or onto her back, but she wasn't doing it. A lot. And yeah. it seemed like every time she did it, it sort of surprised her. Yeah. You know, she would go, wait, what the hell? How did uh-huh. this happen? And now, like, literally one day she just was doing it all the time. Yeah. You know, we, we had her on the bed and she was just flipping from one side to the other. And then she would look up and laugh at us like, look what I yeah. did. And it's just crazy. Like, she's changing. And, and... It's wild. Yeah. It, it was really funny. is. Um, we went to my niece's birthday party over the weekend. Barry, you stayed home because you weren't feeling super hot. And my twin sister and I drove back with the baby. And um, my sister started saying something about how she, she used to hate change, but now she really loves it and she doesn't have a problem with it. And I was thinking, you know, I used to be anti-change too. It's part of being a cancer, and I know you're rolling your eyes, but um, but that's always a part that's that's always a part that's reflected me pretty well. Um, with parenthood, like everything changes constantly. Yeah, parenthood is just change yeah. because your kid changes again constantly. But there have been these really dramatic changes yeah. recently, and you know. It's it's just it's changed everything. It really and, has, and and I know there's more to come. But obviously, I mean this is only seven months in, yeah. but it's just so strange. Again, you know, this afternoon when I peeked in on her while she was taking a nap, she just she looked like, I mean, obviously smaller, but she looked like any person just lying there sleeping. Whereas before, <laughs> you know, babies have a certain way that they sleep. You yeah. know, they lay on their back with their arms stretched out, right. and they and you know, it's very unnatural and strange looking. Uh-huh. Uh, but no, she was just, you know, on on her stomach with her one leg bent and she had her hands, you know, she was like hugging her little toy Aww. that she sleeps with and just sleeping away. And yeah. I was like, oh my God, like she looks like a person. That's and it was really, really cool. very cool. Yeah. Very cool. So, We've got a cool kid. We have a very cool kid. No other kids do this. No, just, just our ours. kid. Just mm-hmm. our kid. Yeah. So the big thing we were going to talk about this week. Really, I'm going to talk about, I guess. <laughs> you mentioned a long time ago on the podcast yeah. that you wanted to talk about what you call the leap. Yeah. Which is, which I always imagine in capital letters, and sort of that, that moment when I f- forewent to the workaday world, the nine-to-five world, and wrote full-time. Yeah. And this is a good time to talk about it. We are recording on uh, Monday, June 1st, but by the time this is edited and up on the internet, it will be Wednesday, June 3rd. 2015, which is exactly 10 years to the day since I walked out of my job for the last time. Wow. June 3rd, 2005, I left Diamond Comic Distributors for the last time. So, this work, it's my 10th anniversary, yeah. so this works out well. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. It's so funny because I obviously didn't know you when you were a working man like the rest of us. Um, you were in kindergarten. <laughs> Basically. <laughs> so, um, so it's funny because I, like, I've always known you as Barry who writes books at home in, from his home office, this, you know, the same setup you've had from here. His cave. The same, yeah. Right. Yeah. But you know, and we've had a lot of conversations about how you manage that, um, how you manage your time when you're a stay at home writer full right. time and, and whatnot. But I'd love to hear, I mean, what was that like? What was, first of all, what, what made you make that decision? Well, unlike most writers and unlike what people should do, I quit my job before I had a book deal. Wow. This was not the smartest thing to do. This was also pre-recession. <laughs> this was also pre-recession. It was a different time, children. 
Um, you know, we, uh, yeah, it was a whole different year. It was a whole, it was a whole different world. And what happened was, you know, I was working at a place. I was not happy mm-hmm. in my job. But you wouldn't have been happy in any job, is I, that right? I, probably. Yeah. I mean, you know, I don't want to say definitively because okay. who knows, there might be a job out there that yeah. I would be happy doing, you know, uh, but, but I was not happy and, and I was very frustrated because I felt like I did not have the time to devote to my writing because a lot of what I did at my job was writing. So I was, I can't relate to this at all. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I, I basically spent eight hours a day, nine hours a uh-huh. day, 10 hours a day at a computer writing and then came home. Yep. And the last thing I wanted to do was sit at a computer and write. Yep. And so for a number of reasons, one of which was a, a, a book that I read, which I think I've mentioned before, but I'll mention it again called, uh, the joy of not working by a guy named Ernie John Zielinski, which was very influential. And it's basically all about, it, it's exactly what it says on the cover. It's, Hey, you know what? If you don't like your job, don't work. And here's how you can survive even in modern America without working. And it was, it was, it, it was basically all about, here's how you sort of strip down your lifestyle to the essentials by which I don't mean you end up living, you know, under the overpass, but you figure out what do I really need in my life? Uh What really fulfills me? What do I really need? And what's the bare minimum I can do to get that so that I can spend the rest of my time doing what truly fulfills me. And so I made a decision, uh, in 2004 that what I would do was I would spend a year saving up money and then I would, and, and after, at the end of that year, I would quit my job and I would have a year's worth of money stashed away. Okay. I figured out what's the bare minimum I could live on for a year. And then I, that way I'm giving myself a full year to do nothing but write. Right. So that was the plan. And uh, so I made that decision in, I guess, April of 2004. And, uh, and around the, that, in that fall, I remember I had a, a review, a performance review mm-hmm. at my job. And I thought, you know, I should give them a chance. Like, they don't know I'm planning on quitting um, in 2005, but, but, but let's see if I can make this a place where I'd want to stay. Okay. So in my performance review, I suggested sort of a, a restructuring of what I did and a restructuring of the department to a degree. Um, I would have become a director. I was a manager at the time. I would have become a director and, and some things would have changed and, and I would have been in charge of certain things and I would have dumped things I didn't like and yeah. blah, blah, blah. And, you know, my boss was like, well, I don't know. Let me show it to Roger. Roger was the vice president of the department. Nice guy. I like him a lot. And Roger sort of came back with, you know, we're happy with the way things are structured. And I just said, okay. And I thought, all right, well, I gave him a shot. Uh-huh. I gave them a shot. I got six more months and I'm out of here. Okay. And so, uh, for reasons I don't recall, I decided April 1st would be the day I would give my notice. Oh. Now I planned on leaving on June 3rd. I wanted to give them two months okay. because there's a lot of stuff that I did that was very complicated that nobody else knew how to do. I had, you know, I didn't really like my job, but I had no animosity towards anybody. I didn't want to screw them over. I figured I'll just go ahead. I'll give them two months to figure out what they're going to do without me, you know? And I'd been at this place for nine years. So, I mean, I'd been there for a while. So I, I, I did a lot of stuff that nobody else knew how to do. And this also worked out because I was in charge of something called Free Comic Book Day which I worked on from the beginning and nobody else really knew what I did for it. Uh, and that happened in May. And I figured, well, this way I'll get through free comic book day. I can do the free comic book day postmortem and bring nice. the new person up to speed for the following year of free right. comic book day. So that's what I figured. Again, I don't know why April 1st was just two months before yeah. beforehand. 
So, you know, it didn't occur to me it was April Fool's Day. <laughs> so the day before that, as it turns out, by sheer coincidence, Roger and I had to go on a business trip to New York. Okay. To meet with some people. And so we took the train together. We went up. We came back. It was a great trip. It was a great trip. We had a really good time. Uh, we talked about a lot of really great stuff, and it was really interesting and, and, and terrific. And, and you know, and, and the whole time I'm thinking, I should just tell him now, uh-huh. you know, and it was, but it was strange. And he wasn't my direct boss, yeah, so, so I, didn't want, I didn't want to do that. So the next morning, April 1st, um, I walk into the office, and I go into my boss's office, and it was a very Mad Men moment, you know, <laughs> close the door, sit down. Um and uh, so I sat down and, uh, you What know, were you drinking? What was I drinking? <laughs> God, I wish I was drinking. And, you know, it, it's, in, you know, whenever you close the door, of that course. always means something. And she looks at me like, okay, what is it now? And, oh my God, I was suddenly terrified. Yeah. It was just, I'd been there a very long time. And I, you know, I should say a few months before this came, a, a couple things happened. First of all, I started to get paranoid that they were just going to tell me to leave that day. Oh. That they were going to say, get out. Yeah. So for the few months leading up to April 1st, I had been slowly removing things from my office. Okay. Uh, I had a lot of, we, we used to get a lot of free comic book stuff. And, uh, and I had a lot of these really valuable hardcover editions okay. that, you know, ostensibly are for my work. But I started taking a few of them home every day. <laughs> So you're admitting here on a admi- live broadcast yeah, that you shoplifted from your company. Well, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you know, it's a hazy gray area. But I started taking that stuff home, and I started copying certain documents that yeah. I might want off my computer and things like that because I was just I thought eh, they might be really pissed and just say forget it. We don't care about your two months notice. Get out. Yeah. Leave. Go clean out your desk and go. So I was worried about that. The other thing that happened, um, which made it a little easier was I had signed with an agent. Right. Uh, in January of 2005, I met Kathy Anderson. I signed with her in February of 2005. So it had changed a little bit in my mind from, hey, guys, I'm quitting to focus on my writing. To, to hey, guys. hey, guys, I'm quitting to focus on my writing. I have an agent now. This is serious. Right. Yeah. So it was a little different. But I was I was nervous when I went to Shelly's office. That was my boss, Shelly. And I sit down, and, and she says, what's up? And I've... I was like really nervous. And I went, well, I'm leaving. And she went, what do you mean? (laughs) And I'm thinking, wow, I did that really well. (laughs) And I said, I'm leaving the company. It's time. And she was like, this is an April Fool's joke. This is a really bad April Fool's joke. And I said, and, and you know, I'm one of those people. Sometimes, you know, there, there are those people who they give bad news and they smile and they laugh. Turns out I'm one of them because I had this huge smile on my face and I'm like, nope, it's not a joke. <laughs> and I'm sure I looked like it was anything, it was anything but not a joke. And, uh, and she was like, oh my God, you're serious. And I said, yeah. And I told her, you know, Hey, I've got an agent. I'm going to focus on my writing. My last day will be June 3rd, blah, blah, blah. She's like, don't tell anybody. <gasps> don't tell anybody until I've talked to Roger. And I'm like, okay. So I went back to my office uh-huh. and went to work. And uh, it turns out, after a few minutes in my office, I had to answer a call of nature. So I go into the men's room, and I'm standing at the urinal. Oh, my goodness. And, yeah, Roger walks in and stands at the urinal next to me. And there's this dead silence. And then he just goes, Barry, you rabble rouser. (laughs) And I'm just like, didn't mean to rouse any rabble, Roger. (laughs) And went and washed my hands and left. Oh, my gosh. Uh, So that was awkward. 
Um, so what was amusing was that uh, a few hours later, he calls me into his office. He and Shelly are there and basically proposes to me exactly what I had proposed six months <laughs> earlier. Big raise, new title, wow. new responsibilities. And, and put it as, you know, I've been thinking for a while about blah, right. blah, blah. And I'm just like, really, dude? Well, it's so interesting because... Obviously, they wanted to keep you and realized that in order to do so, they were going to have to step up. But do you think if you hadn't proposed that six, month or six months earlier, would they have come back to you with some kind of offer like that? I, I have no idea. I mean, you know, I'm making it sound like like they sort of hypocritically offered no, it. No, no, no. Yeah. Um, but for all I know, they didn't even remember yeah, that I had not. suggested yeah. that. I mean, you know, it's possible that Shelly pulled out my review and went, wait, this is what he wanted. Let's give it to him. It's also possible that they just went, what can we do? And, you know, I mean, there were, there were only a certain number of things they could do. And, and, and this was one of them. So, you know, I mean, a raise is obvious. Promoting me is obvious. Um, and they knew what I liked doing as opposed to what I didn't like doing. And I said, guys, it's just time. Yeah. You know, it's, it's time. And, uh, and Roger said, well, you know, I don't know what's so magical about June 3rd. Maybe you could stay until July. And there was a part of me that was like, oh, there'll be one more month of salary, blah, yeah. blah, blah. But then I was like, no, you know what? You just got to do it. You got to go. And I'm like, I'm giving you guys two months. I think that's pretty generous. I'm going to leave June 3rd. Okay. And that was it. Um, they asked me not to talk to anybody while they sort of figured out how they wanted to handle things. So I didn't tell anybody at work for about a day, I think wow, maybe, maybe two crazy. days. Yeah. I, I don't remember exactly how long it was, yeah. but it was a little while. And then, and then I called my, uh, my reports into my office one at a time to tell them. Um, I remember one guy who I had just hired the year before who was a nice guy said, you know what, why are you doing this? I said, I'm going to focus on my writing. He goes, Oh, you'll be back in September. <gasps> oh. <laughs> so he was wrong. So there's, I bet though, there's a lot of, you know, I work in publishing, you worked in a, in a, in the comic book industry. So I'm sure there's a plethora of people who leave their careers thinking they're going to go write full time or illustrate full time or whatever. That was. And end up coming back maybe. Sure. Yeah. Sure. And I will be honest, I, I will own up to this. Um, probably once a month I have a dream where I've gone back. Right. I've had to go back. Wow. Um, and it's and it's just weird. Um, you know, at the time that I did it, one of the reasons why I why I did it, why I finally forced myself to make this decision, was there were a lot of people who I worked with who were writers, who wanted to be writers, yeah. who were in a similar position that I was in. And I just started to go, wow. I, I started to look around and go, wow, that guy's never going to do it. That yeah. guy's never going to take the jump. That yeah. guy's never going to do it. And I thought to myself, wait. Am I that guy? Am I that guy? Yeah. And I'm like, no, I got to do something. Uh-huh. I've got to do something. So let's move on because I want to yeah. talk about um, how did that change your writing, if at all? Was there like an internal switch in you that made you suddenly think it was more serious or had that already happened because you were agented by this point? Like, You know, I feel like that had already happened because I had already written fanboy and goth girl okay. at that point. Um, I had written, that's how I got my agent was with fanboy and goth girl. And, and you said once that when you finished writing that, you knew this, this one felt different. Oh, I knew, yeah. I knew on page three. Okay. I knew 15 minutes into writing that book. I knew this is different. This is the one that gets me published. Uh-huh. I knew. And of course, you know, I had an agent by February and she told me that she would be going out with the book 
sometime over the summer. Okay. Um, so I knew that was happening and I felt ridiculously optimistic about it, which is really stupid. <laughs> I mean, I, I want to tell people don't do what I did yeah. because this was really dumb. Well, it was really dumb, and also the industry was very different then. It was a different time. Yeah, yeah, The economy was different. The industry was different. Everything was different. And, you know, I will say, too, I mean, this makes me look like an idiot. It's not entirely my fault. I won't get into the details. But, you know, like I said, I had saved up a year's worth of expenses and walked out of there on June 3rd and somewhere towards the end of June realized, ooh, this is only going to cover six months. Wow. And I was like... That's not good. Yeah. And, you know, so I did some freelance editing, for example. And then, you know, middle, end of July, I get a call from my agent saying, hey, we got an offer on the book. And, you know, it's going to go to auction. And I was like, whew. (laughs) And then a couple weeks after that, the auction was over and I had suddenly had a two book deal. Yeah. And suddenly things looked much rosier. Yeah. I did not realize at the time that everything in publishing takes three times longer than people say it will. And if you multiply by three, it will then take three times longer than that. So she said to me, you know, look, the contract is going to take a while. It was August at this point. She goes, but you know, by Thanksgiving, you'll be paid. Oh, goodness. I didn't get paid till March of the following year. By that point, I was living off my credit cards. Right, yeah. (laughs) Um, and so that was rough. It, it was not a fun time. It was a very, very stressful time. It should have been pure joy. Right, My dream yeah. was coming true. I was really, really stressed uh-huh. a lot during that time. And that was my fault, you know, because I, I, I quit my job too early and I, you know, didn't save up enough money and blah, 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 blah. Yeah. What would you give as advice for people who want or who are able to quit their jobs to, to focus on writing full time. I mean, if you can, and if that's what you want, then do it. Sure. I mean, if if it's a question of can make sure that you can, (laughs) you know, publishing as a, as a writer, as a freelancer, it's feast or famine. You know, I get like two checks a year and I have to make sure they, they last. Um, and you, sometimes you don't know how big your check is going to be, you know? Um, sometimes you can get a really big royalty check out of nowhere. Sometimes you get no royalty check. And you're the one who told me once that there's an industry myth that Dan Brown, after the, uh, after the Da Vinci code really took off and, um, no one really expected that, that Dan Brown sort of unexpectedly got a royalty check in the millions of dollars. Yeah. I mean the story, the way I was told the story is that the book comes out and it's doing really well. And of course he knows it's doing really well. Uh, but he doesn't know how much it's sold because you don't know yeah. until you get your royalty statement. These days, it's a little better. A lot of publishers have websites where authors can look at their sales and things like that. But at the time, there was nothing like that. So all he knows is it's doing really well. But he had published other books before that that had done okay. Uh-huh. So he didn't he didn't know how well right. it was doing. And so the story, the way I was told, is that one day his agent calls him and says, Hey, Dan, I've got your royalty your royalty check. And he goes, Great. And he goes, I just need your, your bank information so I can wire the money to you. And he goes, Okay, sure. And he gives him the, the routing number and everything. And he goes, Hey, bye. bye the way, how much, how much is it? And he goes, Oh, $6 million. And it's like, what? $6 million. Um, That's amazing. I would I love to have that true. moment. I, I hope that is a true story. I, I, I have no love for Dan Brown. I think the Da Vinci code is a terrible book. I think he's an awful writer, but, but, I, but you know, but that's a hilarious story. No, it's but a great also, story. And I would argue, I would be contrary here. Like it was a completely enjoyable read and I love the movie too. Okay. Well, <laughs> if I'd known that before I proposed. Oh. Um, 
So, yeah, I mean, that that's the story. Because yeah. you just don't know. Yeah, you don't know. Um, but here, I want to I yeah. bring something up here. Sure. So, you know how they say with, with aspiring actors, um, like, you don't have a plan B because you... Your goal is to make plan A work. Like, so well, it's like no that episode B. of Friends where they tell her, where they tell Rachel she's not getting a job because there's no risk, because she needs to quit her job so that she needs exactly. a job. Right. Yeah. yeah. Everything's and about friends. I was just going to say, bringing it back to friends. Yeah. Great. What do you think about that for writers? Because sometimes I do, I think about this with me. Like, as we all know, I, I have a demanding career that I get a lot of satisfaction out of. Right. And. There's a part of me that wonders sometimes if I'm never going to be fully committed to my writing as long as I still have a career that I love. Hmm. I mean, I feel that's tough for me to answer because I never had a career that I loved or a job yeah. that I loved until until this one. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's tough to say. I the the contrarian in me wants to say that it doesn't matter because. I feel like either you have the talent, you've either got the goods or you don't. And that doesn't have any connection to whether or not you're satisfied in other parts of your life. Okay. I mean, you can look at successful writers, artists, actors, musicians throughout the years who excelled at their craft and were miserable. Exhibit A, Kurt Cobain. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And so I just don't know that there... I, I think that's something that sounds good. It sounds attractive. It's the sort of, of, of pop psychology that makes people feel like they have more control over their destiny than they actually do. It's like the secret. It's if you see it, you can be it. You know, if, if you believe it, it'll happen. If you wish hard enough and it's like, no, like sometimes, sometimes the dice just come up snake eyes and you lose. Um, you know, there was nothing magical that I did one way or the other that got me here. I just wrote a book that some people really liked. You wrote your million words. I wrote my wrote million bad book. words and yeah. then I wrote my book. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I, I, if I truly believed that, you know, you had to fully commit to that degree, then, then I would advise people, yeah, quit your job, you know, live off of ramen and, and in a cardboard box somewhere. I do think you have to fully commit, but I don't think that fully committing means you have to give up everything else in your life. Yeah. There, you know, because let's face it, I wrote Fanboy and Goth Girl while I was still working. Right, yeah. You know, I was still working nine, 10, 11 hours a day, yeah. and I came home and I wrote that book. I didn't have to, I didn't have to quit my job to write that book. I just had to finally say, no, I'm going to write the book yeah. I am compelled to write. Yeah. I'm going to commit to this book. Yeah. And the commitment that I made was, I'm going to take some time off work to go to this writer's conference yeah. where maybe I'll meet an agent. And guess what? I did. Mm-hmm. That's what those you have to commit in that way. Yeah. But you know, you commit to doing what is necessary, not everything that is necessary. Okay. I mean, it would be very easy to discard everything in your life except for whatever that one thing is. But I don't know that, that if you were to do a study, you know, that you would find that the people who do that are any more or less successful than the people who don't. Yeah. Okay. Because let's face it, you used actors as an example. Most people who want to go into acting don't go into it because they want to play, for example, small, small roles, you know, um, or, or disposable roles, you know, 
the the neighbor on a sitcom, the guest star on a sitcom, whatever. They want to be huge. They want to be George Clooney, right? Yeah. Well, George Clooney started off playing, you know, some random boyfriend on the facts of life. If he had said, no, I'm committed to my craft and my career, I will only take the first starring role that comes my way, he never would have gotten anywhere. So, you know, I think... I think you, you do what you need to do to survive and to continue along your path. And, and you just, you keep your eye on, on the end goal, you know, which is, which is, you know, to achieve what you set out to achieve. I still haven't done that. You know, I mean, I've published a bunch of books and I've been on the bestseller list and all that, but I'm nowhere near accomplishing Mm -hmm. what I want to accomplish as a writer. Yeah. And you know, I could look at that and go, gee, oh, well, I might as well give up or I might as well stop until I get to that point. But no, no, you, you keep going. Well, and that's a whole other conversation, too, about how once you do become published, um, your what's your next goal? How do your goals shift? Right. You know, if your initial goal was to be published. Right. Uh, so that's an interesting conversation. Yeah. Anyway, congratulations and happy 10 years. Thank you. Thank you. It's that's crazy amazing. to think that it has been 10 years. Yeah. In some ways it feels much longer and in other ways it feels like it just started. Yeah. So, but you did ask, you asked before and I, I brushed past your question. Um, how did it change my writing? Yeah. And you know, the answer is that at first, um, at first I didn't write anything cause I didn't know what was happening and I didn't know that I was going to be a young adult author oh. because I just had written one young adult book. I'd also written an adult novel yeah. that hadn't, that nobody was doing anything with yet. So I didn't know what was going to happen. I didn't know if this YA novel was going to sell. So I had no idea. Um, and then when the time came to write boy toy, when I had the idea for boy toy, uh, you know, I sat down to write that. And what I realized was, that I am, I have an obsessive personality and Wait, that's when you realize that. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> uh, it took a while and I realized, Oh wow. Like with nothing to stop me, I will sit at my desk for hours and hours and hours and do nothing but write yeah. day after day after day. And that book, you know, when it, it was published, it was like 500 pages, I think. But the first draft of it was 650 pages, uh-huh. I think. And I wrote it in like slightly under seven weeks. Oh my goodness. Because that's all I did. Yeah. Seven days a week, every single day, I just sat there. Like I was writing like 10,000 words a day, oh 12,000 words a day. Yeah. I was just like, it was crazy. Wow. And you know, by the time I was done, I was a wreck, like emotionally and physically. I was yeah. just exhausted. And I was like, I need a vacation. And I was like, I'm going to take a week off. And that was when the copy edits for Fanboy and Goth Girl oh. came in. <laughs> so I couldn't take any time off. But that was that was when I learned, wow, like I will just do this over and over and over again. Yeah. And for, you know, the next eight and a half years, that's what I did. I just wrote all the time. Um, except for, you know, when I would give myself breaks, but I just wrote obsessively. And that's why I've got like, what, like 15 books that yeah. came out in, in nine years yeah. because I, I just, you know, wrote, 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 wrote until the baby came. <laughs> <laughs> So that, that is the story of the leap. I have no idea if that is of any use to anybody out there. Um, again, if you're going to do it, be smarter than I was. I got really lucky. Like, it, wor- lucky. it worked uh-huh. out well. Like I, I can't complain, but it could have gone south yeah. very, very, very easily due, yeah. due to my own uh, uh, stupidity. So, yeah. So If you're going to do it, basically, 
make sure you hire a financial planner in advance. Get a financial planner <laughs> or just really make sure you understand what your bills are. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, definitely. Uh, but, yeah, that's it. So let's uh, quickly give people an update. We're both sick. We haven't accomplished much of anything. Nothing. Uh, yeah. I'm going to be... I don't even want to talk about it. Yeah. Okay. I'm just going to... I'm going to be going over my manuscript this week, but but that's it. Since we've both been under the weather, we don't even have anything to recommend for reading. But I do want to point out, in the spirit of recommended reading, that we got a comment on the website from Megan, who is a new listener and a librarian. We were talking last week about the possibility of sort of stitch fix for books. And, uh, you know, this idea of like human curated reading lists that you could subscribe to. And she said as a librarian that her library does this for people. And it sounds really cool. And I didn't even think of that, but I think, you know, I, now that she's mentioned, I think I've heard of libraries doing this. Uh Very cool. Basically you fill out a few questions. Right. And then over some short period of time, I think Megan said it was a couple of weeks. Um, the librarian will respond to you with a list of like 30 curated titles that, they think would right. suit your needs. And I imagine that as you read them and sort of get back to them and say, well, I liked this one, I didn't like this one, it would become more fine-grained and they would give you further curated lists and so uh-huh. on and so forth, which is great. And I am ashamed of myself for not thinking of libraries last week. One more reason libraries are awesome. Not only can you go there to find something to read, they can tell you what you will like yeah. to read. As you know, we have a library at work and the librarian there is so incredibly helpful. Um, a family friend of mine is fostering an eight-year-old girl. Yes. And so I wanted to send over some books. And, I, you know, I know a lot about children's books, but even I was like, oh, eight years old, what are the best titles? Right. And I was sort of like not sure where to go. Well, especially given the situation. Exactly, yeah. So I asked her, and I came in the next day, and there was a stack of books on my chair that she had handpicked. Um, and it was perfect. And they were titles I wouldn't necessarily have thought of, plus something that I would have. And she like had themes and matching books. And yeah. I, this is what they do, and they're amazing. They, so. are, they are gods and goddesses of literature, they man. Are. There's no question about it. So thank you, librarians. Um, next week, I want to talk about BEA. Ah, Book Expo. Yes. Yeah, we, yeah let's do that. We'll do that Great. next week. Stay tuned. Stay tuned, everybody. That is it for this week. Thank you once again for tuning in, for downloading, for listening. We appreciate it. Visit us at writinginreallife.com. Leave a comment. Send us an email. Follow us at WIRL Podcast on Twitter. Tweet at us. Rate us on iTunes. Subscribe on iTunes and then rate us. The, the more stars we get on iTunes, the, the, the better and healthier our baby will be. Oh. That's right. That's right. I'm using the baby to get ratings on iTunes. <laughs> Thank you very much, everybody. We'll see you again next week. Bye. Bye.